On today's Film Snobs, we're going to talk about whether Pan has petered out. Hello, Film Snobs. This is Film Snobs, the podcast that teaches you how to be a better film snob. I'm co-founder and contributor James Owen, joined at last <laughs> by co-founder and contributor Steve Himes. Hey, Steve. Hello, James. How are you? Oh, uh, good, 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 good. I uh, I am glad that we were able to get back on here and talk. I know that the what kind of captured us to uh, do what might be I think maybe the only 12th podcast we've done in the past year. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, <laughs> is, um, I, I did a, I did a, um, I did a column, as some of you may or may not know, I do a column for the Columbia Tribune, the Columbia, Missouri Daily Tribune where I write about movies, and last week I did a review of David Lowry's Peter Pan and Wendy, which I did not like, and I hate writing columns about movies I don't like. I like talking about movies I like, um, but this one um, made me kind of think a little bit about um, all the Peter Pan adaptations we've seen. Um, even in the past 20 years, I, by my count, this is the fourth one that we've seen, if you count uh, the uh, the indie film Wendy from 2020, which was auspiciously released on March 13th of 2020. So not a lot of people got to see that. Uh, but then you also had Pan from 2015. It was Joe Wright directed that. You had uh, Peter Pan from 2003. That was by Jay Hogan, uh, who had a lot of people knew from, know from um, Muriel's Wedding and uh, My Best Friend's Wedding other wedding movies. Um, but I, I was kind of talking about where I think that the, this this story has gone wrong. And and Steve, who teaches English, is kind of a guy who digs into literary issues real deep. He too has theories about where Peter Pan has gone wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he and we, we decided we wanted to talk a little bit. Uh so Steve, like so when yeah. you look at and you and you watched Peter Pan and Wendy, haven't have you Yeah, known? yeah, I saw Peter Pan and Wendy this weekend. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, we both have daughters, so they both wanted to watch it. Um, so what, so what is it like from you, you know, so what is it that you think that, um, kind of these, you know, these kind of Americanized dis uh, not, not necessarily Disney films, cause not all of them are Disney films, but right. these Americanized adaptations, what, what is it that you think they miss about well, the story? I think that the one thing to uh, the, that makes this story very difficult to adapt into cinema is that at its core, it's really profoundly weird and unsettling about yeah. an issue that like it's very easy to make a movie about the glorious nostalgia of childhood. Of course. But the, but the source material really isn't about that. The source material is about the bravery that it takes to grow up. Wendy is the hero of the story. And Peter Pan, yeah, like when you get down to it at the end, is much more of a villain character rather than a whimsical character. And that right. doesn't lend itself to... Uh, to cinema, especially Disneyized cinema, and especially kids' cinema, very easily. So I think the mistake that you see a lot of people, a lot of filmmakers make, is that they think of Peter Pan as a kid's story, 
and it's mm-hmm. not. The original source material isn't even in a kid's book. It's J.M. Barry's, you know, The Great White Bird, which was uh, a novel for adults that Peter Pan kind of makes a makes a cameo in. And he just became the popular character that he then adapted into the Neverland stories. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's um, that's yeah, that's interesting. I also, you know, have this theory that like male directors might see Peter Pan at like, well, they're like directors. They like they kind of like they have a set and they have actors. They kind of like, you know, you know, they kind of move those things. And so there's almost like to me, it seems like it would be easy for that kind of that kind of figure to gravitate towards Peter Pan. But yeah, he he seems like. I mean, from my perspective, not even from a literary perspective, just seems like, yeah, stunted. Yeah. I, when it gets when it gets shown as a kid's movie, it's like, oh, look how fun it is to be a kid when you're like an adult. And it's like, it isn't, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so maybe maybe some background on Jane Barry and the original yeah. story might help kind of flesh out like this. Like this is like the core fundamental thing, you know, question up front about Peter Pan. And if you get this wrong, you're going to end up with this weird nostalgia movie that doesn't quite make sense. But if you go the other way, you know, it's going to end up being this darkness that's really not all that commercial. Right. Yeah, yeah. uh, So important thing to know about him is that he's he's Scottish and he grew up in Edinburgh in a uh, very deeply Calvinist, uh, Calvinist family. And so like a lot of his, and he also studied literature at the University of Edinburgh. And this is like post-Scottish enlightenment. Like one, one thing to understand about like a lot of, you know, intellectuals that we think of as quote English or quote British actually came out of Edinburgh and the Scottish enlightenment, like Adam Smith and the wealth of nations. Like that's Scottish, like Scotland, in many ways, Scotland was really the intellectual uh, brain center of the British, you know, uh, of the uh, British Empire during the 17th and 18th centuries. Was there an effort, like, by Britain to kind of make it seem like they were British as opposed to Scottish, so they could keep yeah. some sort of superiority? Or a- absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. It was a bit. Yeah, you know, the guy, the guy who actually got at this the best was uh, the tennis player Andy Murray a few years ago, who is Scottish, right? And, you know, and, you know, no, uh, no British person had won Wimbledon since 1936. And Andy Murray said, when I lose, I'm Scottish, but when I win, I'm British. And I think that's pretty much cap. I mean, that, that caps. Right? <laughs> so like, so, and, um, but if you were an intellectual um, in uh, Edinburgh, you eventually had to make your way down to London. And so like Thomas Carlyle and Addison, like all of the famous Scots ended up in London and kind of like being co-opted into that scene. Mm-hmm. And so um, and so the the writer's scene at the time to- at that time in the early 19th century was in the Bloomsbury area of London, which is kind of near ish Kensington Gardens. Like he was kind of on the outskirts of the literary neighborhood of uh virginia wolf uh 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 john maynard Keynes, like those you know the bloomsbury group so mrs dalloway like walks through this neighborhood like that's uh-huh. her yeah right? okay so um so he eventually makes it makes it to this neighborhood and one thing to know about his literary background is like these guys 
we're all steeped in a very uh, Christian and kind of in British um, literary tradition that goes back to Dante, who is Italian, but Dante greatly influenced Milton. And so like all of these guys that in all of these English literature books that you read in AP, or if you took a college lit class, they all go back to Milton who went back to Dante. Mm -hmm. Like Heart of Darkness, Joseph Conrad, you know, Kurtz is Satan. Yeah, that's Milton, you know, like uh, Dickens, like all of them. And so this is where you, the idea of Neverland, I think comes uh comes from which is that in dante heaven and hell are both timeless because they're eternal you either Mm -hmm. get your just reward and you go into heaven forever and it's eternal and no time exists there or you end up in hell and the whole like even like comedy of dante is that in hell you're just trapped there repeating your sins forever and you can never leave. Purgatory, in the middle, purgatory. Purgatory actually was time-bound. It had time because you were sentenced to purgatory based upon the severity of your sins. And so when Virgil leads Dante, you know, through, uh, you know, through hell, like everybody's like, Dante, 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 please help me, please help me. And like, they're just stuck there forever. But Mm -hmm. in purgatory, they asked Dante to go back and tell the people, you know, on earth that they are going to get out. And so now you see the problem with Neverland, right? Purgatory where like unbaptized children go to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's the whole outer ring of purgatory. Yeah, there's a a whole thing there, right? But now you see Neverland, right? So Neverland is the part that's timeless. So is Neverland heaven? Or is Neverland hell? All right. At the beginning of the story, it feels like heaven, right? Sure. You know, you get the sure. garden, you're on the high seas, you're doing all the adventures, you're doing everything that, you know, boys would want to do, right? Yeah. It's a temptation. It is a temptation to never grow up and become fully human and live the human life. So the arc of the story is that Peter and Wendy, right? You see where this is going, right? You yes, yes. Wendy, Wendy eventually she le- chooses to leave the garden to grow up and experience life as a mother in the fullness of human existence. An awfully big adventure, as she calls it. An awfully big adventure. Peter Pan chooses, and this is key to the original text, Peter Pan chooses to stay behind in Neverland. And so now when you read the original story, once you figure out that Neverland seems like heaven, but it's actually hell, like, I mean, that's pretty much just temptation in every Christian story, you know, going back to, going back to Dante. Right. Um, But he kills Hook indiscriminately. Right. Like he murders all the pirates. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Like when you look back at it, like he's a, he's incredibly sinful. And like, just like, ha, 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 murdering Hook. Like, he's just repeating those sins over time. And there's this great scene at the end of Peter Pan in Kensington Gardens where Wendy, a year or two afterwards, goes back because she wants, you know, to to see Peter. 
And Peter is just mad at Wendy. He's just mad at her for leaving. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't remember all of the promises that he made because he can't remember all of the promises that he made because that would have to, because that would mean that he would have to reckon with the fact that he broke those promises, that he would have to reckon with the fact that he chose to be a fairy kid and not a human. And mm-hmm. Wendy gets disgusted with it. And that's the tragedy at the end of the story is like the relationship is severed forever. And Wendy goes on to be, you know, to become a mom. Right. And yeah. that's not easily Disney-fied. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no. And yet that's what has been interpreted. Right. Yeah. Over that's and right. over again. Right. You had the cartoon in 53, I think, is when the cartoon, like the Disney cartoon came out. Right. Had, you know, a bunch of variations. I mean, I've, I've went through like the past 20 years, but you've had a lot more than that. We were talking off mic about uh, Steven Spielberg. Right. You know, definitely a, a boy who, well, right. I, he didn't want to grow up until he made Schindler's List about two years after he made Hook. Right, right. But he, he made a Peter Pan yeah, and if we could talk about Hook for a second. Yeah, right? please. I'd love to. Yeah. So like Hook, okay, so the whole like frame story of Hook is completely wrong because Peter Pan is an older yuppie who has to rediscover, you know, his inner child. You know, it's like the typical, you know, uh, you know, yuppie, you know, finds happiness by, you know, not going to work and then, you know, becoming a child again, right? But yeah. like the whole point of Peter Pan is that he never grows up. So I was like, well, how does Peter Pan grow up? Like, how is he a yuppie, <laughs> right? Like that's that's defeats the entire point, you know, of the, you know, of the framing. And, um, but I do think that his instinct about like, who is the only like Hollywood actor that could ever pay, play Peter Pan in the darkness of Barry's original vision mm-hmm. is Robin Williams. But it's not Robin Williams in his, um, you know, goodwill hunting serious actor phase. That's too late. Robin Williams as early 20s coke-fueled manic stand-up comic, that's Peter Pan, right? Because the whole thing about Peter Pan is like, comes on the stage and like he's literally sprinkled with fairy dust. I mean, right. you know, right? <laughs> Literally sprinkled with fairy dust, right? And he's like flying around and he's, you know, charismatic and like any, like you can see an early Robin Williams bursting on stage and just, and being Peter Pan. Sure, yeah. Is, you know, in, in that, in that stage of his career, right? Right. But the like Mork. Arc, what's that? Like Mork. Yeah, yeah, like the real story should be like Mork and Wendy, right? Because you think <laughs> about Mork, yeah, right? Like Mork was born old, right? Right. But as an adolescent, so he was like kind of trapped in this adolescence, right? Yeah. Yeah. And M- Mindy's whole thing is that she kind of mothered. Yes. Mork. There was always this like weird, like, are they together or is she a mom tension yeah. well that's the that's the the peter and wendy thing right yeah wendy is more like a surrogate mother than as a romantic interest yeah right right and that was always why that show had an edge to it and later they had to bring jonathan winters in to like kind of, because they couldn't resolve that tension right <laughs> in a 30 minute like you know yeah. like network sitcom right but like what 
you know, by the end of the the original Neverland stories, Peter is hugely annoying, and you're sick of him, right? Because the, part, the <laughs> yeah, party you are. <laughs> the party goes on too long, right? And he wants to, you know, he he wants you know perpetual eternal childhood, and by the end of the story, you're cheering for Wendy to leave. Yeah, right, right, yeah, and. You know, and she event and she eventually does, but you can see how like an early Robin Williams, like by the end of it, like you know, it's kind of like watching you know a uh, you know a sixty minute YouTube of early Robin Williams. Now it's like I can do about like fifteen or twenty minutes of it, and it's incredible. And then after that, like I've had enough. And that's kind of the character arc. Of that <laughs> right, it's the character arc of that story. So I think that Spielberg's instinct about who should be Peter Pan is right. But his frame story was completely wrong. Yeah. Plus, no one was going to give him like $150 million to do that movie. <laughs> right. 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 <laughs> you know, that would have been tough. That would have been a tough sell, even for Spielberg. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it just it feels like it's something one of those things that like you've had a lot of really talented directors because I mean, like Peter Pan and Wendy is directed by David Lowry, who. Right. I don't know if you've seen any of his other stuff, but he did a he did a remake. He did the Disney version, live action version of Pete's Dragon a couple of years ago, which is actually a really good reworking of that story. Yeah. The Green Knight from two years ago, which is a really great, uh, you know, kind of rendering of the of like kind of these old med- medieval, you know. OK, so what did he do with the Green Knight? Step me through that and see if we can figure out like why, like why he went wrong with Peter Pan. Yeah, well, I mean, that's a darker movie, right? Like, yeah. he gets an R-rated, you know, he makes an R-rated hero's journey. I mean, there is, like, there is, there's sex in that movie. And there is, uh, you know, there are a lot of really dark themes in that movie. And, like, I feel like he, with, I mean, I think he withheld a lot of those impulses for this, for the same right. reasons he's talking about, because Disney gave him the money to make Peter Pan and Wendy. But right. The Dark Knight is, you know, to me... You know, you you watch this guy, you know, he's made this very foolhardy proclamation. Yeah. <laughs> he's going to take on the night and he suffers the consequences for that. And like the whole movie is just watching this kind of slow motion, you know, realization that this bravery was just all front. Right, uh, right, right. It doesn't pull any punches from that. Um, and to me, like that is, I mean, that, I mean, but here's the other thing too. He made that movie for like $20 million. And okay. for the life of me, I cannot figure out how, because when you watch it, it okay. looks better than this Peter Pan and Wendy movie that he probably got 10 times that amount to make. Right. You know, it's, it's interesting. So the Green Knight, that, that had Dev Patel, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. There's a really interesting thing about Dev Patel that's happening right now. A lot of these like English, like literary uh, adaptations, which is the David Copperfield as well. Right. That's right. And oh, boy, was that a thing in Charles Dickens circles? Right. Like I'm a member of the International (laughs) Charles Dickens Society. And there was a you know, there was a minor dust up you know, on, you know, within the society, especially on the social media pages about like, well, you can't have, you can't have an Indian. Uh Oh, <laughs> David Copperfield. Right. Right. Because it's not true to the thing. And like, we don't do mm-hmm. colorblind casting and like all this kind of stuff. So there was, there was like a minor dust, but I thought, De- I mean, Deb Patel, 
He was great. He's great in that movie. In, in yeah, this I David love Cotton that movie. movie. Yeah. Um, because that is a you know that's a dark a dark movie about childhood as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. That and you know the other thing too that that is that that was something that I that I learned in diving through the debate about that, which is that like Victorian England wasn't nearly as white as what we think it was, right? Because of the, sure. you know, because of the empire, because of just like natural immigration patterns anyway, like it's not, in, it's not crazy that, you know, you would have a, like a multi-ethnic England. Now that's not the one that shows up in literature because the Bloomsbury group and those kinds of folks were not living in those neighborhoods, right? right. But like the- They were like the, all white writers. <clears throat> right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah so- um yeah, so I can see how the green how the Green Knight was a little bit more successful because like by casting Dev, you know, like Dev Patel, it seems like he was willing to take some risks and like kind of dive into some of the issues that it's a, are it's a risky, gutsy movie that felt like it took a very, you know, timeless story, a, a very traditional story, one that you've seen kind of, you know you know, kind of redone over and over whether they're actually doing it or not. And actually I think really like, you know, made it very lively. Right. Um, it's good. You so, like it a lot, I think. So one Peter Pan that I have seen that I thought did it right. And this is, uh, I'll uh, go ahead and share my screen so that you can step the uh, listeners through some of the pictures that I'm going to give oh. you so that you can describe them. I saw, so I saw Peter Pan at the uh, open air theater in Regent's Park, uh, central London. It's uh it's where the London Zoo is. It's one of the Royals, Royal Parks. Um, it's kind of, it's in a, it's in a pretty Tony neighborhood. It's uh, uh, uh Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the tube stop is Baker Street. Like you cross the, the Beatles walk. Like um, right. um, it is, it's a, it's a brilliant, brilliant setting because it's in an open air park and it's set within like this Royal, like the theaters, you know, uh, uh, set in front of this royal forest and so the way that they did peter pan uh in this setting was that they had like peter pan like flying out of the the forest mm -hmm. now the frame story for this is 2018 there were a lot of celebrations in uh uh in the united kingdom surrounding the armistice of world war one Right. And this is and one thing that, you know, like in Europe, I feel like World War One is commemorated way more than what it is here in the United States. Like I'm from Kansas City. You know, we have the National World War One Museum yes. here. Right. It's not in Washington, D.C. It's in Kansas City. Right. It's kind of in the United <laughs> States, like World War One is like the forgotten war. So if you saw the draft and. You know, Liberty, you know, the, the, the memorial that was lit up, that's the National World War I Museum, right? Yeah. But in England, uh, the commemorations around 1918 were, were big. They were reverent, like there was a whole lot. So what they did with Peter Pan was they set Peter Pan in World War One in the trenches. I think it was in Flanders. Are like these little orphans? Are they the lost boys? Are they supposed to be the lost boys here? You're showing. Yes, that's right. Those are the those are the lost boys, yeah. right? Yep. And what I might you know to you know to to circle back to our Deb Fidel discussion in a multi ethnic platoon because yep. yes, the the platoons you know many of the platoons were multi ethnic at the time, right? Right. Yeah. Um, 
And, uh, you know, that's what they, I mean, the Lost Boys have kind of done that. Even, I think Spielberg, even with Hook, right. made the Lost Boys multi-ethnic. Yeah. Yeah. So here, uh, so this is Wendy and Peter. And where are they set? It looks like we are in a hospital in World War One. Very uh, Hemingway looking. Um, a lot of mortal wounds. Uh, you know, that kind of traditional nurse dressing that you see in those kind of move and those kind of stories. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So funny you say, you know, the sun also rises on Peter Pan is what you might term, <laughs> term the set. Right. Sure. Yeah. Mm. Um, in the, and this is gets us back into a little bit of the biography of J.M. Barry himself, which is that yeah. um, Peter Pan. So he wrote Peter Pan uh, pre-World War One. It was already um, it was already a successful stage play because that was because Charles Dickens, what he figured out was that the way that you make money <laughs> off of your literature is like the literature is almost the loss leader for the stage performance. Oh, yeah. OK, <laughs> right. Um, Frankenstein. So like Frankenstein, Frankenstein was performed on stage, like almost as soon as, uh, Mary Shelley wrote it. And so like the, the famous scene, like it's alive, you know, Igor in the scene, like none of that's in the book. That was all like the early stage plays in the 18th. Right. But Dickens, like Dickens really learned how to monetize his literature. And so like, so like these things, like a story like, you know, Peter Pan was on stage within weeks of it being published. Oh. Uh, the Lost Boys themselves um, were uh, an actual family of boys that he lived, that Jane Barry lived uh, near in uh, Kensington, uh, near Kensington Gardens. Yeah. And uh, he like literally like lived across the street. So if you go to the Jay and Barry uh, blue plaque in London, yep. like, like his house is right there. Yep. Boys lived right two houses down. Yep. And if you oh, turn around, like that's Kensington Gardens right there, like literally across the street. So it's a nice neighborhood. Very rich. Probably back then it was uh, pretty nice, too. Yeah, pretty nice literary neighborhood. It, yeah. Yeah. And uh, the um, the boys were uh, there were five of them that lived in this house near them. And, you know, long story short, like their parents died and Uncle Jim like took care of them. Uncle Jim uh, took care of them. There is a lot of talk about like what that relationship actually was. Yeah. But we have no evidence that there was anything improper that ever happened. It just seemed like he really liked the boys. Yeah, seems, uh, seems odd. It seems yeah, odd. Yeah, it seems, yeah, but... yeah it's ve- it seems very, very odd on its surface, right? right. Yeah. Um, but long story short, what ends up happening um, to, uh, to these, you know, to these kids that he ends up adopting, uh, the, the Lew, uh, they're the Lewin Davies, boys like one of them uh george who was five years old when uh jam was uh 37 uh played with him a lot in the park uh he ended up drafted into world war one and uh died in trench warfare uh, uh with a copy of peter pan and kensington gardens in his coat pocket oh wow yeah um 
the uh, the other boys, uh, one of them drowned in what is uh, considered to he was he was at Eaton, maybe a suicide, maybe not. We're not entirely sure. Uh, one did live uh, until he was much older and died by suicide. Uh, and I think it was like 1937 because he, you know, by that time, the boys were all famous as, as the lost boys. And so he spent a lifetime of like trying to make his own life while yeah. also being one of the lost boys. And he, you know, ended up in the familiar story of, you know, drugs and alcohol. Tragic. Very tragic. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was why like um, Peter Pan. Um, yeah, he died by suicide uh, at the age of 63 uh and he called the he called the book the ter uh that terrible masterpiece <laughs> that was based on him right so there's a lot of world war 1 context to mm -hmm. uh to this story and so this version of that it was that, all after the fact obviously because it was yeah done. all after the fact right but right. um this version of it that i saw in open air uh regents park what the the way that they imagine it is that um, Peter Pan has been shot and he's brought and Peter is brought into the hospital and went there he is uh, you see like he's like flying out of the forest mm -hmm. uh, Wendy administers the Wendy administers the morphine and the morphine hits and Peter Pan takes off flying so like it evolves oh. into this this uh you know Neverland is the drug uh drug infused hallucination of a dying peter the moment before he dies in this as, a, as a young soldier kind of with perhaps the regret of of dying for you know some larger purpose that maybe you're not totally synced up and, with and if we center wendy right Wendy mm -hmm. is the nurse in the hospital who has to live the rest of her life with the memories of all of these boys who never grew up. They're trapped yep. in perpetual adolescence because they died in the trenches. So to Wendy, they never did grow up because yeah. she administered them when they died. Yeah. Not because they chose to, but because that's just what happened. <clears throat> that that's right. And so Wendy then, you know, so Wendy then grows up as the nurse because she's the one who survives while all of the boys, uh, while all of the boys die. Yeah. Wow. I actually, I actually have some pictures here. Of, uh, these are my, these are my pictures of the set. You want to describe sad. that? For, yeah. 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 You they, want to describe um, that for the audience. Yeah, which is a it's the hospital that we just were talking about, but there's it's open air and it very much looks like, you know, it's uh, you know the kind of trusses and everything are kind of all. Well, it looks like they might have been. They look a little bombed out. They look a little. Um, uh, they 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 look a little mangled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and that that Brit that uh, Union Jack, the half burnt Union, Union Jack up there. Yeah, yeah. So now. Um, the other, so what they did was that they uh, they created the stage, but then they had like an in the an opening of the trench. Do you see like they've got like yeah, the under the set here? Under yeah, the set. So like, 
during the play, they would have these soldiers come out in these like World War One machine guns and just patrol around the edge of the stage, looking out at the audience while all of this like magical Peter Pan stuff is going on in the background. Wow. And in fact, this. The great fear at the time. The Kensington region, Gardens is what that says, is what they have a sign over the trench entrance. Because the reason why they were fighting were to keep the Germans in Belgium and not have them in Kensington Gardens. Because another thing that they that Kensington Gardens was uh, one of the large open air spaces where the soldiers would assemble before they uh, lifted off for the war. Oh, interesting. Okay, I did yeah, not know that. Yeah. 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 Wow. So that is another. That is the an approach to Peter Pan that is decidedly like not a kid story. <laughs> I feel like it's a lot truer to the source material. Right. And it resolves, the, and you see, you can hear how it resolves that tension between Wendy and Peter as like, you know, the boy who would never grow up. Right. In a way that doesn't necessarily make Peter the, you know, Peter the the bad guy. Right. You know, even though in the source literature he is, but like, at its core, this isn't a kid's story. Like that, I think that's the point that I just want to keep making over and over again. And so when you try to kid story it, it just, there's going to be some unresolved weirdness that as an adult <laughs> looking at this kid's story, like you can't like make sense of because I don't right. think you really can. And yet it still has captured the imagination of like, I mean, David Lowry described it as his passion project. Like he wanted to make this movie. Uh, all these other directors have spent all this money. And then, you know, you think about, well, I mean, from an Anglo, not Anglo, but like from America, like we think about the most famous, you know, person to kind of want to embody this is Michael Jackson, the Neverland Ranch. Right. Uh, and well, you know, so it's obviously like the way it's been told has been, has has somehow grasped, you know, so artist, right? Can we talk about Michael Jackson for a second? Yeah, why not? <laughs> <laughs> but now you see the obsession that this, you know, damn, you know, especially for those of us who have sat through that just gut wrenching documentary, right? Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, you see the the attraction of him to, you know, creating the Neverland Ranch, right? Because this right. was the childhood that he never had. But the tragedy of Michael Jackson, I think if you, I mean, if you frame it up in kind of an abstract literary context is that he could never solve the central tension that we're talking about here, right? Which is that right. you actually, no, Peter Pan does not is not a hero because he refuses to grow up and he just you know lives in a perpetual adolescence surrounded by children peter pan is a villain because he did that right because you have to grow up and i and you know and so if you you know so if you apply that to you know to a lot of these like celebrities that love peter pan you can see that like you can see the central tension that they're wrestling with but you also see what they don't ever quite resolve. Right. Yeah. Right? There's no way Michael Jackson was going to resolve the fact that he was, you know, his father beat him into success. Right. <laughs> and and like, he had to literally drug himself uh, to kind of just keep going until he didn't. 
um, you know, like, yeah, I mean, he probably should have just been, you know, he probably could have afforded a pretty good shrink. Right. But and, you know, that's just not how it worked out because he was not raised in a kind of a healthy mindset. So, yeah. So, so that leads us into like one of the most famous pictures of Michael Jackson in his celebrity encounters, which was with uh, Princess Diana of Wales. Right. 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 Which, as I learned from you, Diana's got a very, uh, it, you know, she, she kind of had a fix it, not a fixation, but just an interest. Well, I guess a fixation with Peter Pan. Yeah. She loved Peter Pan and talked about this story a lot during her life. And if you, in, you know, if you peel back, you don't even really have to peel back very many layers of it to get to the to to get to the core story, right? Which is that, you know, we have to remember that, you know, Diana was a child when she was basically drafted by the Windsors out of Sandringham Estate, which was the neighbors. You know, they were the neighbors of Windsor Castle, right? Like she was a child; she was nineteen. Yeah, very uh, young. Very they young. put her on that carriage outside of St. Paul's Cathedral. Right. Yeah. And Charles was, I should have looked this up beforehand. He's 33, I think. Um, but well, anyway, they, married, they a, get married in 82 or 83 because he's like uh, 74 now, right? Or 75. Yeah. 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 And so, uh, and so here I've brought back up my, uh, my little map of uh, Kensington Gardens. And if you, in the left side, uh, the west side of the, uh, of the part of the gardens is Kensington yeah. Palace, right? Yeah. And Diana was pretty much holed up in one of these rooms for a long time, you know, for great stretches because her celebrity outstripped that of Charles. They wanted her to stop doing as much media. It's basically season four of The Crown, right? Like we all, <laughs> you know, right? <laughs> um, there was a playground here to the north, right? Uh, uh -huh. And she would have, and she had even talked during her life about seeing kids on this playground out here to the north from outside Kensington Palace. Yeah, and yeah. I don't know that she ever said explicitly, like, this was the, I was watching the childhood I wasn't allowed to have, but it's pretty inescapable that that's the conclusion that you come to. Mm -hmm. And so after uh, Princess Diana died, there was uh, a foundation, and this got really messy with the royal family, uh, to put monuments to the, quote, people's princess, as Tony Blair called her, yep. as, you know, that we remember from, uh, from the queen. Yep. And her, um, uh, the Princess Diana Fountain is here in Kensington Gardens over- Which looks like it's like kind of- um... Well, I don't know where this is. It's uh, <laughs> it, it looks like it's kind of due east of Kensington yeah, Palace. It's due east, yeah. yeah, it's due east of the palace. And so there's this like beautiful walking trail where like right um, uh, where if you begin here, like this is the pet cemetery where uh, Peter Pan like goes to visit all of the uh, all of the pets of people that live around Kensington Gardens. And he becomes kind of sad because he sees the pets. And there's a, there's a Peter Pan uh, statue here where he uh, the, descends into the garden for the first time. And, but then, like, right near that is the Princess Diana Fountains. Uh -huh. and, and then you keep walking, and then there's Kensington Palace. And then when you get to the north side, you come across the Diana Memorial Playground. 
Yeah. Which is full, uh, which is built with the gigantic pirate ship, uh, the teepees, like all of the iconography of the Peter Pan story. Mm-hmm. And it oh. is like, it's, it, there are a ton of children there all the time. There's a queue. Uh, I took Imogen there uh, once when she was two, and it was basically me and the posh nannies of Notting Hill. Right. But yeah, so like in the literal Neverland of Kensington Gardens is all of this uh, monument to Princess Diana that is intertwined literally with the story of Peter Pan because she think in many ways saw her own story as entwined with that of the Peter Pan mythology in the very space where she like, like, like Peter, like, uh, you know, the, 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 uh, the white bird story, she was trapped in a cage and could never leave. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that is, uh, that, yeah, that's something I did not know about her interest with it. And that's, uh, it's very, I mean, there's, there's everything about her is just very sad. Yeah. Yeah. So that, um, so that, that's, uh, you know, the one piece I feel like that, um, that really does capture like kind of the darkness and the point it's hard to tell the print, the story of princess Diana and not have it be dark that I feel like Diana was the only celebrity that actually like really reckoned with <laughs> the, you know, the story oh, right. terms. And I and uh and understood it. Yeah. Um, but I mean, yeah, certainly, yeah, I, I think that uh I think the fact that she's British, yeah, also probably helps with that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that goes to one of my theories about Ted Lasso, which is that <laughs> you know, their their Englishness and Americanness, especially Midwesternness, are closely related, but not quite. Which is wow. that in England, yeah, th- there's a certain Englishness in which we recognize the dark thing. We just choose not to talk about the nar- dark thing. <laughs> That's English repression, yeah. right? Yeah. Americanness, especially Minnesota nice Midwesternness, is the dark thing exists, but America gives us such a toxic positivity that we double Orwellian double think our way out of not even believing that the dark thing exists. Right. You know, and I feel like that's, that's the difference between Michael Jackson's obsession with the Peter Pan story and Diana. Right. (laughs) Oh, I know the dark thing exists. Right. Right. (laughs) Right? But I'm going to numb myself to it. (laughs) Totally right. Totally right. Yeah. There's a great scene between Higgins and beard where they where Higgins like, you know, goes to Beard and says, like, your relationship, I forget Beard's girlfriend's name, but uh, it's like, she's bad for you. And Beard says, I know. You're a great friend for bringing this up. <laughs> Never going to talk about this ever again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The only other piece of Peter Pan that um, that I do think is kind of interesting, and go, and it does go to this whole int- uh, issue of Disneyness. Which is uh, Jay and Barry had no kids, right? Um, had no heirs, really. And so what he did in, uh, was um, he left the copyrights to Peter Pan 
to the Great Ormond Street Hospital in London. Now, the Great Ormond Street Hospital is uh, it is a historic hospital in London. It is not like an extension of like the Foundling Hospital that goes back to the time of uh, of Handel, but it is set in the uh, Bloomsbury neighborhood. Uh, you know, of uh, Mrs. Dalloway, and it's, you know, kind of a posh, bourgeois, Victorian, uh, Victorian uh, place, but it was poor, um, you know, before it became like an upscale artist neighborhood, as all upscale artist neighborhoods are poor before, <laughs> before the artists yeah. move in and gentrify, right? Right. So the great, so the great Ormond Street Hospital was uh, began in the mid kind of 1850s, and Charles Dickens was one of its first uh, first patrons. Um, mm, it's a, you know, it's precursor to the Foundling Hospital. Um, the Foundling Hospital uh, was founded by Thomas Coram, and it was during that era of like dirty street Dickensian Oliver Twist orphans. And in fact, this is the same neighborhood where Oliver Twist is set. Because, um, you know, going back just like a little bit further in the pre-gentrification days, like this would have been the dirty neighborhood where, you know, Oliver Twist and his kind of Lost Boys set would have been, right? <laughs> and I would recommend, like, if you ever go to, uh, if you ever have time to spend in London, you can go to the British Museum and do all of that and look at all of their, like, stolen imperial treasure. And, you know, <laughs> you, can, you can do that. If, you, if you're so inclined. If you're so inclined, right? And the British Museum's cool. Like, don't get me wrong. I, I highly recommend everybody who goes to London, you go to the Foundling Museum and the Charles Dickens Museum, which are uh, very close to each other uh, in this uh, area of Bloomsbury. And you'll see here on my map that the Great Ormond Street Hospital for Children is right you know, by the Foundling Museum, Foundling Hospital and the Charles Dickens Museum. This is an ac actually legitimate, like, uh, research hospital uh, does, you know, like uh, they did the first bone marrow transplants there. Like it's a legitimate oh, wow. like, world research renowned uh, children's okay. hospital. Okay. But it was going broke, you know, as many, you know, institutions were, you know, in the war times in London. And so Jay and Barry gifted the, the copyright to this hospital under the stipulation that they could never reveal how much money it made. Hmm. Okay, so this uh, so they even have the story of it here on the website, and you can see like um, it is still like the story of Peter Pan is still embedded in this hospital, and uh, you know, especially in times of Tory rule budget cuts, we do not know how much money Peter Pan is making for this hospital and has made right, but it was enough. That in 2004, after the copyright had expired in the United States, they actually sued Disney to say, like, you still owe us royalties. It was <laughs> enough money to where they, they sued Disney, right? Yeah, and not to go too deep into EU uh, and British copyright law, but uh, 75 years after the death of the artist, um, the... Uh, the copyright would have gone into the uh, would have gone into uh, the domain. Yeah, uh, would have gone into public domain. There was a special act of parliament where they passed a law particular to Peter Pan and the Great Ormond Street Hospital to extend the to extend the copyright so that Great Ormond Street Hospital 
was still doing research and caring for kids with every new Peter Pan production that was made. Oh, wow. And so even with this movie right here, like there was an article, this was, uh, this was in Time Out a couple of- But the uh, most recent ago. movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The most recent movie is still making, uh, still uh, a part of the royalties are still going back to, um, still going back to the hospital because they did settle with Disney because it was, it was horrible press for Disney to be- oh, yeah. Yeah, to yeah. have like the Daily Mail be like Disney stealing money from broke orphans or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so they have a relationship. So any Peter Pan production that is done in the United States, the copyright is owned by Disney. Disney gets a cut. The hospital gets a cut. And right. so even like um, as a part of the uh, uh, press for the movie, See a picture of Jude Law. Jude Law with some, uh, looks like maybe, I don't know, those are doctors, researchers, nurses. Yeah, those are some, yeah. Yeah, the beleaguered NHS uh, nurses. Um, <laughs> you know, and it, yeah, there was something, there was a great headline that I saw in one, in one news article about this was like uh, uh, Peter, uh, Peter Pan doing more for the NHS than uh, 12 years the Tory government. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> you know but so like yeah so they are yeah so disney is still tied up is still tied up with this now however that per, those protections didn't didn't extend to the eu it's just you know parliament can only pass a british law not an eu law and after brexit well that all blew up anyway right so <laughs> yeah. you have yeah so you have seen in the eu but not in, in the united states a lot of Peter Pans that have villainized him in the same way that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. And so like there's a, there was a, a Peter Pan called once upon a time uh, that uh, came out where like, uh, Oh yeah. There's a Christina Henry's the lost boy where a bloodthirsty Peter Pan isn't a eternal spirit of eternal youth, but a sinister cult leader. And lures young boys away from their families, periodically serves them, and then drives them to murder each other in a game he calls, always calls, battle. Yeah, and this is like, and that's got its roots, like, that's Heart of Darkness, you know? Yeah, like, so yeah. when you circle, like, way back to the beginning where I was talking about, like, the, the influence of Milton on, uh, you know, on British, uh, British poetry, like, that is, you know, there's a direct line from Dante to Milton, to Conrad, to some of these, you know, villainous Peter Pans that you're seeing outside of the copyright zone. Yeah. Wow. And they can only exist outside the copyright zone. But inside the copyright zone, where you're making money off of Peter Pan, you can't have villain Peter Pan. And I think that is what oh, adds the tension, right, that we've been talking about, you know, that you that you can't quite resolve. So when I, when I wrote when I said that someone should make Peter Pan the villain, someone has. Yeah. Can't do it here. (laughs) Yeah, but they've done it. Yeah, and they've done it in the public domain. Right. Right, right, right. They've done it in the public domain. Well, I think that would be better. I I need to watch that because I've never seen that. And like that was precisely what I felt like the story, like what the story needs. Um, Because yeah, the the version that just came out of Disney Plus is not, uh, not very good. 
Yeah. So I guess the, the last image that, that I will leave you with is uh, this picture right here. This is a bronze statue of Peter Pan uh, outside the entrance of the great Ormond Street Hospital yeah. um, with a uh, with a Tinkerbell. Yeah. And so, the, and so the handicapped entrance is right in front. Um, and so when kids come into the hospital get to uh, to get treated, Tinker uh, Peter Pan blows Tinkerbell's fairy dust on them as they. Oh move. yeah, I see that. Like he's got his hand out, oh, like kind of away from his face, like staring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, yeah, and that was the. And if you read that plaque, you know, there's a little plaque in front. Like this was to honor the gift of J. M. Barry of the copyright of Peter Pan that still is a gift of fairy dust to the children because, um, you know, like I said, they they can never reveal how much money it makes, but it's got to make enough money for you to sue Disney. And in this time of, you know, 12 years of Tory budget cuts to the NHS and to the hospitals, like it's still, I mean, it's, en it's enough where Jude Law came over and, <laughs> and did press. Yeah, they they had to put in his contract that. <laughs> yeah, he was gonna have to do that. Yeah, uh, and he's probably going to the premiere over at Leicester Square anyway, which is like sure. three, you know. But Jude could always use the good press too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what is it four? <laughs> was it four kids, four lost boys, five lost boys? You know, he sometimes. Yeah. 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 I mean, do you remember that interview where Letterman asked him how many kids he had, and he and. Who's like four, five? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we can get. Remember some good that? Did he really? Did he really not remember how many kids? Yeah, he yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's great! What a cad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, that is uh, that is my deep dive on oh, all things no, uh, all things Peter Pan. And if any of the uh, film snobs uh, listeners out there are ever interested in uh, doing a walking tour. Yeah. Peter Pan, like I can send you my map. Um, pay me to be your tour guide. I am available. You have a website for that, Steve. You do. Uh, you? I do. I do. Studyinresidence.com. Okay. Studyinresidence.com. Yeah, yeah. That is my. Yeah, that's the name of my uh, mode of uh, student travel, where I design uh, trips and courses. That is studyinresidence.com. Uh, <laughs> that's right. We want to make sure people hear that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I wish uh, I wish there were more of these adaptations that uh, came out because it's always fun talking to you about them. Um, yeah. I, uh, I I feel like I I always learn something from from you. You just have this like endless font of knowledge about this stuff. So <laughs> I'm just like I don't like this movie. I don't know what it is, but um, then you just put your finger right on it, and that's where it is. I'm like, oh yeah, that's why this is bad. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Well, we'll just consider this our uh, the the coronation special for King Charles. III. Oh yeah, because always oh, been bad ever yeah. since he trapped his uh, child bride into Kensington Palace and made her stare out at the kids' playground that eventually became the Peter Charles Peter. in his mid seventies finally got a job. Good for him. Yeah, good for him. Oh, I know, I know. The monarchy's got value. I get all that. But then, yeah. Well, I tell you what. Um, uh, there. So you know, as we end here, I will. I will say, like, I do have. If you want to do a uh, coronation special on uh, the uh, handle coronation anthems, I don't know if there's a good movie that has handle music in it right now. But I have been in Westminster Abbey, 
uh, with uh, some uh, music experts and tour guides talking about how uh, Handel uh, composed the coronation anthem specifically for that space. Yeah. And why it like hits like really hard when it does, because Handel was, uh, he was, a, he was, uh, he was a, not only a composer, but he was also kind of a scientist who could write music for particular places. And the reason why, like, this is one of the most famous pieces of music that's used in basically almost all coronations around the world right now was because he wrote it for that, for that space. Oh, so interesting. Yeah. 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 Oh, wow. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't know if like, if I'll go see Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 and it'll have some handle in it or not. Like, <laughs> probably not. Probably there you not. go. Uh, but no, this is good. Um, okay. Yeah, Coronation was this past weekend, so this all also relatively felt. Yeah. Um, so yeah. thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. If you like what you heard, leave a review, subscribe, and tell your friends. Until next time, whenever that is, uh, we'll see you in the funny pages. All right.